that day it, it happened to work. Another day, I've had other days where I've been in that situation. I didn't make it. But I think I was ready in that moment because I was genuinely okay with the putt not going in. And I didn't feel so much pressure to make it, even though I, the, you know, in the back of my head, I knew I needed to. I was just like, just go through the routine, hit the putt, and we'll see what happens. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we have John Sherman, who you most likely know as Practical Golf on Twitter. And he's also the writer of The Four Foundations of Golf. I had John on the podcast back in October of 2020. That's crazy. We're almost to three years ago he was on this podcast. I can't even believe that this podcast has been going long enough to have a guest repeat after three years. That's nuts. It was a great conversation back then, but he's done some awesome things since then that I'll let him tell you about. He's always been one of the best voices in the industry for how he helps the regular golfer play better and enjoy the game more in a very um, practical way. We recorded this back in June, so we start off with some talk about the U.S. Open Then we talk about our feelings for Rory and how his strategy might need to change in order for him to win a major, the loneliness of playing pro golf, John Sherman's book for Foundations of Golf and how he's trying to over-deliver on value for the reader, his philosophy on golf, how to manage expectations, acceptance of any outcome, et cetera, et cetera. It's just an awesome uh, 30 minutes. And believe it or not, this is only part one, so stay tuned for part two. Uh, It will be released next week. But before we get into this episode, if you feel like you need one-on-one work on your mental game, that's what I do. Yes, I host this podcast, but my actual occupation is working with players all over the world on their golf psychology. If you like this podcast, the stuff that we talk about is the exact type of stuff that I work on with players. So if you'd like to take the next step to improve your mental game, then send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com, or you can visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. Or if you'd like a less formal intro to mental coaching, one where you don't even have to talk to me at all, you could take the mental game assessment. It's a 15-minute questionnaire that will give you your mental strengths and your biggest area for mental improvement. It's a great resource to start working on your mental game, and the best part, it's free. I really, really, really recommend you go take this. It's been an awesome resource. In fact, it's the same thing that I use with my players as a backdrop, as context for how we go through our sessions. So it's a it's an extremely valuable recess, resource Excuse me, to me, so I know it will be valuable to you. The link to everything that I've mentioned will be in the show notes of this episode. All right, let's get in this conversation with John Sherman. I hope you enjoy. What'd you think of the U.S. Open? Did you uh, overall enjoy uh, it? Yeah, I think um, I think I liked last year better as like a course where they were like, "Oh, let's try something different." Um, I think it was an exciting finish. Um, yeah, I think it was just like, I don't know. It was hard to put my finger on it. And it was like the number of par threes or like, the. I mean, there was some great, it was like a course I would like desperately love to play. I just, I don't know, maybe I'm sounding too similar to Twitter speak, but I'm not sure it was a U.S. Open venue. Sure. I mean, you are Twitter speak. So 
What yeah. A is Twitter. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, you know, it's because you can make the error like, well, there was still drama. I'm like, yeah, we could play a public municipal course and still have drama. I mean, they're that like, it'll be interesting. But like, does that mean it's a good, my guess, I think they should just stick to what they're doing, which is like, keep the Roto like tight. Mm. Let's not go outside of it. Like I'm kind of in that camp. Like, let's, oh, okay. that's why I like, because that's why I love the masters so much. We know what to expect every year and no one can complain about that. Cause like, I think if, I think the keeping it to like pebble and the, it'll alleviate all this stuff. I don't know. That's just how yeah. I, I, I did. Li- I, I thought the course was very cool. Um, yeah. I just, for whatever reason, like watching it, I was like, yeah, it's kind of cool. It just doesn't feel like a U.S. open. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Just, overall, I'm very soul sad about Rory. I just, mm. uh, I don't know. Yeah, for those listening in the future, once this is released, uh, the U.S. Open just happened. the The Open will probably have happened by the time uh, this goes out. Who knows? So this will be old news. But and hopefully, everything we because I, I want to ask you about Rory. But so everything we talk about might go away he might win i hope it does yeah (laughs) i really do so when you say sad about rory what are you what are you talking about i there's only been two times in my life where i'm like when i saw someone swing a golf club for the first time like my jaw dropped the first time was when i was a little kid and i saw a tiger and the second time is when i saw rory at the open as a teenager and i just think that you know, talent's such a strange word to use in sports, but like, I think he's, you know, the most talented golfer I've ever seen outside of a few others. And I also respect him as like, as an ambassador to golf. And I think he's done an awesome job for the game. And I think, you know, whatever the last two years, everyone's opinion on it, it's been difficult on him and the position he's been thrust into, but he just overall seems like a great guy. I love watching him play. And, you know, you want to see like some of your favorite athletes, like realize their potential and his potential as someone who could be like someone who won seven, eight, nine, ten 10 majors. But yeah, it's been, uh, it's been difficult to watch over the years, I think. And I just like, I'm, I'm I, I was texting someone yesterday. I'm like, I'm watching this, like, so nervous and like almost gagging. I'm like, what is, what must he feel like on the inside at this point? Like he just be, must be ready to explode. And yeah, yeah it was just, um, there's just like another one. Like it just no putts draw. Like he didn't play bad. He just didn't do anything spectacular either though. Do you think, um, you know, armchair quarterback, do you, do you think, I don't know what do you think is between him now? And I mean, uh, realistically three or four more majors that have just slipped uh, that's probably underestimating but what do you think is the difference what do you think is the small thing there if you could guess i hate to do this but just as like of course my armchair you know i'm not inside his camp or anything like that but just watching him over the years i'm like does he need all these shots i keep wondering right like i, I would think to myself like what if what if he had played his draw the last 10 years what would have happened like I've just watched him double cross so many fades and I know he did a few yesterday. Like it had to have been just watching some of the ball flights and the wedge play. It's just like, I mean, Tiger had his struggles with wedge play and he used to airmail some greens, but he tidied that up. And I'm not, you know, I, again, I'm, I hate doing that to yeah. Rory, but I think he's in the same 
talent level. And I just wonder, like, it seems like he's pursued so many different shots and, you know, my philosophy, I like to keep things simple. I just wonder like if he had more strategic discipline and more simplicity in, in the types of shots he was playing, I wonder how it would have played out. Uh, yeah. Maybe it would have been the same. I don't know, but that's just me looking at him. Like what's, you know, there's, I've seen some strategic decisions he's made and, and just, you know, trying to play so many shots and i'm sure that's when you're that good you would know this better than me it's your way better ball striker than i am like when you're that good it must be so tempting to do all of it because you can do all of it um i don't know that's just the thoughts i've had over the years of watching him like what would happen if he simplified things and maybe had a little bit more strategic discipline and and when you say that you're talking like pin is on the right he's got a nine iron in his hand because he bombs it like crazy yeah and and he's trying to work the ball to the right side of the green. Is that yeah, what you're he, talking about? I, I, he definitely tries to work it a lot of different directions and trajectories. And and then you see some of these misses with wedges like that miss on yesterday. Like, yeah, I mean, that was brutal. Yeah. I just don't know. I'm like, I, I it's, it's hard for me to fathom someone that good. You know, again, I'm not nearly as good as him but from 120 uh, even leaving himself 125 yards on that par five you just watch it and it's like what's going on here like it, it's almost like it's repeating itself i don't know yeah, yeah i I, yeah. I think he's gonna win another major soon like i'm, I'm not like I, I think it's gonna happen i think he's gonna win multiple majors like he's just too good yeah um but yeah it's it's uh yeah it was it was tough watching yesterday i, I really like him and i i'm, I'm a fan of his yeah i I didn't even realize I thought I was nervous for Wyndham to close it out because like you said, I can't even imagine how Rory feels. I, I don't think any of us can fathom how no. Wyndham must have been feeling coming down the stretch. So he, I mean, all credit to him. Yeah. I mean, some of those wedge shots he hit those, those up and downs. I mean, that one where he went long left on that par three and he had that tight lie and he just nipped it perfectly. I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, the amount of speed he had to generate and just like the ground contact on that, like it was perfect. I would have, I would have bladed that through the green. I <laughs> tweeted that out for sure. Like that, that was a hundred percent blade for me in that situation. Um, yeah. yeah, he hit some big time shots and when he hit some bad shots, he, he recovered. It looked like I, I was thinking Rory might have had a chance at the end. It looked like he might've been the, tr- the pressure was getting to him, but that up and down on 17 was um, when he did that, I'm like, it's over because 18, you know, didn't seem like too much of a challenge on the whole. Although when we hit the tee shot, it looked like it was going go big. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> that was wild. That, that was <laughs> wild. Because when he hit it, like he looked back and I was like, I'm like, what just happened here? And then it's like on the fairway. <laughs> yeah. I thought we had another Mito Pereira, right? It, it pretty much was. It was just he got lucky. The 18th hole didn't look like it did at the PGA in 2022. Right. Um, it just yeah. wasn't a challenging tee shot. Everyone had to play the same hole, though. So yeah, you know, true. Yeah. He put himself in position where he, you know, made the bar and he won. It was awesome. Yeah. Somehow, I, it was I, in the fairway. The thing I enjoyed the most was his celebration. You know, some guys, you know, if I ever won something that big, I'd go crazy too, like that. And I thought it was so cool to like see the emotion just explode out of him immediately. Like that was really fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, we could we could go on, but um, sure. <laughs> if, if you. 
I don't know what what have you been up to? I know what you've been up to, but for those <laughs> listening, um, what have you kind of been up to the last couple of years? Uh, we talked. Uh, it, it might have been two years, two or three years by now. Um, mm. What have you been up to since then that um, that maybe is new to since then that that you could that you're proud of that you're excited about? Uh, I mean, my book, obviously, I, I took. You know, I, I started writing articles on how to get better at golf back in 2015, right when, like, I guess blogging was just about to die or they said it was <laughs> dying. And I, I did that for years and um, I learned a lot and it took, I don't know, six years to, like, develop my philosophy and figure out what was resonating with golfers. And eventually I, I would you know, kind of organize that into these four topics that I like to discuss and turn that into a book. And that, you know, luckily the book has kind of changed everything for me. Um, fortunately, a lot of golfers have been reading it and the feedback's been good. Um, I recently turned that into a video course, but yeah, it's, um, you know, it seemed like I was trying to get people to eat their fruit and vegetables in their golf game for years and a lot of people didn't think that was so cool. <laughs> of I was kind of talking into the void. And fortunately, some other people started doing it too. And it's become cooler to, you know, maybe be a little bit more cerebral and disciplined about your golf game. And it, it's fun to see the different voices coming around to this. Um, but yeah, it was it's been very um gratifying to see like when I put it all together in, in one product or philosophy whatever you want to call it, that it kind of really had an impact on a lot of the people who've read it so far. And, and it's been great hearing from them. So yeah, that just obviously coming out with the four foundations of golf and, and finishing the book was quite significant for me. Yeah. I, and this might come across as a strange question. You can answer it however you want. I mean, has it, has it been successful for you? Like, has it, um, I, I you know, I want to ask income wise, but just, has it been good for you? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I self-published the book and when you do that, you kind of bet on yourself. And fortunately I had built up a decent sized audience who was willing to purchase the book when it came out and you kind of boost it up in Amazon and see what happens there. And unfortunately, um, it's been almost a year exactly since I released it and, oh, nice. um, I'm close to 50,000 copies sold, which is, uh, crazy. I, I, I didn't, I, I was hoping I would sell five or 10,000 copies in its first year. Wow. And, you know, the book publishing industry is very strange. I learned a lot about it. And yeah, I guess I, I've been fortunate that the word of mouth is really strong. Like Twitter is a huge example of that. Like people have read the book, have told other golfers about it. And, and fortunately, it has a lot of really good reviews on Amazon. So it just kind of like took on a life of its own. And yeah, it's changed my business and everything in my life. Um it's it's been pretty crazy uh the last year but um the most important thing to me is is that you know i get emails and and messages every day from people who are reading the book and it's having a, a real impact on their game you know getting messages that uh, their people are enjoying themselves again their handicaps are dropping which is obviously another important part of the equation but um just knowing that the book is kind of like making its way around the world which is you know possible with technology now and that, you know, 
the the ordinary golfer is getting something tangible from it because that's what I obsessed over when I wrote it. I said, if someone's going to buy this from me and give me their money, I want to over deliver on the ideas and value I provide them. And and to this point, it seems like uh, you know for a lot of people who read it, not everyone, of course, that that that's happened. So it's been yeah, that's been very special for me. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's gratifying to make money off of something that you also fully believe in. Yeah, it's um, I. I put everything I had into it. It took me off and on three years to get it finished. So I kind of, I bet a lot of, you know, time is our most important currency. And I I bet a lot of time on this book, a a huge chunk of my life. Hmm. And fortunately the the, the gamble of that has paid off. Um, But that was, you know, very nerve wracking when I hit, because you just don't know what's going to happen when you publish something like this. A lot of, I mean, there's millions of books in existence and a very small, part of them get any attention so you just don't know what's going to happen yeah um so yeah i think a little bit of good fortune and and uh, patience paid off yeah good so so you mentioned your philosophy and obviously the title of the book is four foundations of golf what is your philosophy is it just those four points is that how you how you would summarize it or yeah i mean i yeah, I, I think when I when I got into what I was doing, I said, how how can I help golfers? And when I looked around at what golfers were doing to get better, a lot of it was obviously the swing tip stuff. And I'd been down that road and it didn't work out for me. So I said, what what can I talk about that's not the golf swing? And eventually I, I you know, through a lot of uh testing and just coming up with ideas, I, I settled on expectation management that's probably the number one thing that people get from me in the book um strategy how to pick targets and clubs and do all that um how to practice effectively and then i always preface it with my version of the mental game just how do i deal with all the things that normal golfers deal with on the course the embarrassment the anxiousness the anger the frustration um and then the highs as well so just helping people get through all of that. So those are really the four topics I focus on and they break down into hundreds of mini ideas. And yeah, but I, I've talked about other stuff over the years, like club fitting and, and stuff like that. But you know, that that's not kind of where my expertise lies. I've learned from other people on that. But yeah, I think so my philosophy is kind of like those four topics and what I believe about those or my opinions on them. Um so I, I couldn't put the philosophy into one statement. I guess it's a collection of things, but I guess at the core of it, it's like nothing is complicated or overbearing or hard to understand. It's a lot of stuff you've heard before, but I think what I've been good at is presenting it in a way where it actually changes people's habits. That's what coaching is. I'm getting someone to buy in on a concept. They're like, oh, I'm going to start doing that now. Whereas just like weight loss, like we know how to lose weight. We know how to eat healthy. Uh, secrets are hiding in plain sight and it's just who's going to resonate with you to actually change your habits. And I think for some people, I've been that voice for them. And for other people, it might not be me. It might be someone else. Yeah. Okay. So the, the first, the first of the four is managing expectations. What, um, what does that mean? What, why is that? Why is that important? I mean, I, we both we all know the definition of the words managing expectations mm-hmm. why is that important for golfers i i think it's the most important part because if you can't 
if you can't manage your expectations of what you want out of this game, the, the type of level of play you expect from yourself, then none of the other things I talk about work or anything else in golf. So if you can't um, know what are like a reasonable range of scores are, or what a you know I talk about what's a good shot look like, and and for a lot of golfers, it's shots that they're hitting that they actually think are bad shots. So just understanding how to react to all the outcomes we have on the course or, you know, when you're going to the play your round, let's say you're playing Saturday morning and you're thinking about your round all week and, and visualizing all these great things that you think are going to happen. It's, I used to do that to myself. I would kind of like fantasize about the type of golf I wanted to play. And it wasn't even close to the level I was capable of. So there's this disconnect between my expectations and my skill level and that was making the game miserable for me. And I know a lot of golfers cannot get that equation right. And so I try and help them with that. So there's a lot of ways I try and do it. I use statistics. I, I use embarrassing stories from my past. Um, I ask a lot of questions of people, like what they want out of golf, um, how much time they're willing to put into it. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of ways to manage people's expectations. And I've kind of come up with like, again, a ton of these like mini ideas that resonate with certain people would you would you think it's more important as a whole for golfers to lower expectations or try to raise skill level if you could just pick one obviously the your term is managing expectations so i think that kind of is loaded but yeah what do you think? um i mean skill trumps everything in my opinion so yeah it, your, your best chance of of any any type of improvement in this game is improving your skills but so the flip side of that is like, well, what is that going to take? Like how much time can you devote to practice and playing? Because, you know, you need to have this feedback loop between the the range and the course and seeing what's going on in both. Um, so there's a time element there. There's a commitment element there. Um, but I think for most golfers, their default stance is that their expectations are too high. So naturally, I'm going to lower them because they're just at a point that is untenable. Um, I was st stuck in that rut probably for over a decade. Mm -hmm. um, so it depends on the player, but I would say if we're speaking generically, for most people, when they read the first section of my book, that's what they get the most out of is that, wow, I, I just never even, no one told me any of this. Yeah. I just never stopped to think about it. I never stopped to think about that, you know, a tour player, we talked about Rory from 125 yards yesterday getting embedded in a bunker. Most people would expect a tour player to hit it to, you know, five or 10 feet from that distance all the time. And they don't, obviously, we just saw a crazy outcome there. Um, but just these little things that no one sits us down when we take up this game and explains this to us. They talk about the grip and posture and alignment and all that stuff. And that that is important. But no one Skill. talks about like, yeah. No one talks about like, well, you know, if you did hit that wedge to 45 feet on the green, like, you know, that that is a good shot for you. Um, let's celebrate that and not go crazy at ourselves. And that that basic little mindset shift can bleed over into many other parts of the game, like how you select targets, your mood, your mental state. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a lot of golfers by default, without knowing it, have expectations that are way too out of line. They're they're mm -hmm. they're too high. What does managing expectations that does it does it have an effect on skill level? Does it have an effect on scores or is it simply you're getting too frustrated? This will just help you enjoy it more or does it have an actual effect on score? Oh, no. I mean, I've gotten tons of messages for people like, oh, I shot my best round just by, you know, 
you changed my mindset on the course because again it this game is emotional or you're you've focused on this what what the mind is doing and how it how it can influence the body so let's say you were someone who was just perpetually upset and frustrated by every shot you're hitting and all of a sudden you're easier on yourself you're more patient i think you're going to probably swing it a little bit more freely on the next one you're probably not going to be as tense um you're probably going to make better strategic decisions if your mind's in a better spot so you can save some strokes there so i think it's one of like the the big secrets to lowering scores um and in terms of skill yes i i think it can help you access your skill more often you know we all have a baseline skill level and some golfers aren't as good at accessing it as much because they're just putting themselves in a state that doesn't allow that to happen. Um, so I, I can't tell you that changing your expectations will raise your skill. I think that has to come through practice and play, but I think it could help you access it more often as a, as a better way to put it, I'd say. Yeah. So the, the, it, it is, it is difficult to, to say you've got this base level of skill, but, I, I I guess I could fumble over words, but I like the way you said access it. I think that's it. You can acquire more through practice and play and learning and the grip and the fundamentals and all these things. But if you can't access that skill when it matters, then what's the point of all that skill practice? Exactly. Like if you take two hypothetical golfers, and I've seen the, I've been both of these golfers and I've seen them a million times. So you have golfer A who has, way more potential talent skill all those things and they're an absolute head case on the course um they think it's oh i better shoot this score or anything else is a disaster so they're on a short mental leash and you know 80 percent of their round is just like them shooting themselves in the foot and then you have golfer b who is not as skilled but is has a way better outlook on the game more patient better demeanor um and they just kind of plot their way around. We've all seen that golfer too. And they end up scoring better because the game isn't, it is a game of skill, but there's other elements too. Um, so that that's a generic example, but I, I've seen that play out in my own game and other game, uh, other people's games as well. Do you think, uh, and I, I kind of like looking at Rory as an example. Um, and again, a lot of this will be armchair. So take it all with a grain of salt, <laughs> but do you think, managing expectations ever comes into play for someone like Rory or pros or is it or it, it must yeah. it must be so hard just because they're so good hmm. you know what he's capable of doing when he's messing around on the golf course I, I've obviously never seen Rory play a recreational round it just must be silly like he could probably put the ball wherever he wants and then you add a little bit of pressure and obviously things get more difficult so and then throw in like <laughs> the pressure of like people like us talking about him all the time and and everyone wanting him to fulfill his prophecy of of being the next tiger which we all kind of thought mm. he was at one point um i don't know it must be horrible i mean you've been around i, I know you've you've played golf at quite a high level and I've, I've spoken to some playing professionals and i don't think it seems all that fun to be honest with you mm. i think it's a really like you know, one of my good friends from my club played professionally for over 10 years and he made it, you know, to PGA tour Latin America. He got, he won a few times professionally. And I, I just, it seems like such a difficult, lonely endeavor 
and you're just like fighting against all of this like negative thoughts all the time because it's about money and like you know your your livelihood i don't know i i can't fathom it just because i'm a <laughs> a middling mid-level amateur type player who's never going to get to that level so i don't know it must be brutal I, I i can't imagine so that's why i i you know we have to preface this with armchair because yeah. i don't know what it's like to to walk in rory's shoes it must be really difficult yeah the expectations aren't just internal they, they are for almost everybody listening to you and me it's almost all internal there is some external like your swing is so good on the range why can't you do it on the course that kind of thing from other people yeah. but for guys like rory um the internal expectations are probably huge but for coming from everyone else they're astronomical so managing expectations takes on a whole different form for him but it's gotta lead to some struggles in some I know. way my my theory on rory is that you know to be a historically great you know killer type golfer you kind of have to be like a little crazy mm -hmm. like yeah. tiger's not you know tiger normal michael jordan kobe like these are not you know well-adjusted human beings <laughs> Uh, they're not <laughs> like yeah. the people around them have stories about how insane they are about competition. Rory does appear to be a well-adjusted human being. And sometimes I wonder is like, is he just too like emotionally smart hmm. and, you know, um, has the right things in, in life in place and puts them in their place saying like, and he said it before, he's like, you know, this isn't going to define my life and he has a healthy attitude about it. Maybe that's the difference between him. Like, being in a situation like yesterday where he's just like, I'm going to annihilate and kill all these people. I don't know what he's thinking, but he just, sometimes I wonder like, is he too good of a guy and too emotionally intelligent um, and wants like a nice balanced life to, you know, be that person that we all thought, you know, the 10 plus major type player. I don't know. I'm just spitballing yeah, here, but that's sure. always something I've thought about him watching him like his thoughtfulness when he speaks. Uh, and he's been pretty upfront about that too. Yeah. Well, on that balance piece, obviously, we're talking at the very tip of the spear uh, in Rory, but how is that kind of balanced mentality? How is that? Again, we can see pros and say, oh, they need to be sociopaths to be really, really good. I need to, you know, I need to be crazy, <laughs> right? And that's part of the problem of we should be hitting it to five or 10 feet every time. So how does that balance help us, help you and me? Is that is that part of it? Well, I'm I'm glad I'm not involved with pro golfers or advising them because I think they're they're playing by a completely different set of rules. And everything I'm saying is just like my analysis as a fan, you know, where I think I have expertise is with, you know, the normal players. Mm -hmm. So everyone else who's just playing this game for fun and leisure, you know, we're all playing by a completely different set of rules. And you do not need that <laughs> that killer mentality, anything like that. In, in fact, I want you to be quite the opposite. I want you to um soak in the experience of playing and being grateful to be out there and and you know making sure that you're not going overboard with your internal competitiveness or even with others because i think that's a quick way to lose um enjoyment of the game even at the level you know i play at and i know you play at in tournaments um i'm around the top 0.01% of golfers all the time and i think some of them like don't aren't having a great time they're just doing it because like they're like i want to compete 
and some of them have the tournaments in the right place in their mind in their life but you know for everyone else like most people are you know they're playing a nassau with their buddies like this is not serious <laughs> even what i'm doing like it is not serious like who cares like there's maybe a few hundred people who are going to check the leaderboard of those these tournaments and no one cares and then if you take a step back and look at you know the match you're playing with your buddies on the weekend like no one cares like outside of that group so it's not like a life or death situation but it what's crazy about golf is it feels like it is yeah it really does like it, i've had rounds where like i've been so down on myself by the way i played and like i think that's a horrible thing to do is associate your score with like your self-worth but it happens it really does and it's kind of a scary part about the game yeah when you make it when you make it that big you make you turn it into a life or death threatening thing where you're every shot is the most important thing you've ever done and you're gonna cause some extra tension extra pressure and you're gonna play worse because of that yeah i i've found that and this is for me like i think you know you work with a lot of players directly so i'm sure you're well aware that you know based on someone's personality and and, and the way they experience pressure you know different things can work for people so for me for example the way I've found dealing with pressure, you know, whether it was trying to win a club championship or like qualifying for the US Mid-Am and coming down the stretch and I'm like, oh, I'm close. I, I could do it. For me, it's been helpful to be like, you know what? If I do it or don't do it, I'm going to go home and my kids aren't going to think any differently me differently of me or my wife. Um it's not, you know, and I asked myself, like, why am I out here? Like, I like being in that moment. I think it's fun. But I also am not like totally. And I have, you know, times where like if, you know, if I don't do it and I have a bad, I've had a few tournaments recently where I didn't play so great and it stings, but I try and put it in its place and move on. But the thing that's worked best for me is just like being very cognizant of what the pursuit means. And it mostly is fun. Like it has to be for fun. Uh, I'm not playing professionally. I'm not trying to make a career out of it that way. So yeah, I try and have a good time with it and know that it'll be okay either way. And what that does is it frees me up in the moment to have less tension in my hands, not walk as fast. I pay attention to these things and my breathing and all these things and being cognizant of it and saying, this is fun. I'm here for this and let it happen. We can't control everything. Sometimes you hit the good shots and you, you make it and other times you kind of blow it and that's golf. So I, I try and accept all of that. And by letting go, I, I always say to people like the more I let go in this game, it's like the more control I have over it. Yeah. Um, and I'm still trying to get better at that. It's still very hard to do. Yeah. Cause you, you feel, I mean, we're all wired. Golfers seem to be wired to say the more I, the tighter I squeeze something, the more yeah. I get control over it. And I'm going to be able to shape it this way or that, like shape my golf game this way or that. And, and it backfires, right? Yeah. I, uh, I'm thinking back to a, so I had a round a few years ago, I was trying to qualify for the Met amateur. So I, I live in the New York Metro region that that's our big, we have a few big amateur events. Like that's the hardest one to get into. You need to shoot under par at the qualifier. There's only like five spots. And I had a great round going. I think it was like four under at one point. I made a few bogeys coming in. I got to the last hole. I didn't 
I wasn't scoreboard watching, but I, I knew I had to, I was one under, I'm like, you probably have to par this to have any chance. And I had like a hundred yard wedge shot and I chunked it short of the green. Um, and then I had a very uncomfortable wedge shot that I kind of nervously hit to 10 feet. And I had a putt in my head. I'm like, you know, this is the probably yes or no putt. I knew it, but at the same time, like, I'm like, you know what? Just, I went through my routine exactly the same way and just kind of accepted the moment and the putt went in and I made it. Nice. It could have easily not gone in also though. Like that day, it, it happened to work. Another, I've had other days where I've been in that situation. I didn't make it, um, but I think I was ready in that moment because I was genuinely okay with the putt not going in, and I didn't feel so much pressure to make it. Even though I, you know, in the back of my head, I knew I needed to. I was just like, just go through the routine, hit the putt, and we'll see what happens. And I think in the past the fear of missing it would have just dominated everything in my head. Um, that I really would have no chance of making it because then my hands probably would have done something funky. Um, so that was something I learned, you know, and again, have I done great in every tournament since? No, but I've done some good things. I've done better things since then with that realization. And I think that could be applied to like anyone first tee jitters, you know, your, your 15 handicap trying to overcome, like being embarrassed in front of random playing partners like that, that all can relate to a lot of different situations in golf, I think. Yeah, being okay with great or terrible is kind of the key. It's the it's the way to say it's the way to diffuse all the fear out of it. Because if you don't if you realize there's nothing to be afraid of here because I'm cool if it goes terrible, then um there's nothing to be afraid of and therefore yeah. there's your body doesn't respond to fear as if it's threatening. Yeah. And I don't want to give people the impression that I don't get nervous anymore. So I, I'll give you another example. The, last week I was playing in the Long Island Amateur, which is a tournament I very badly want to get into match play because I actually think I could win it. It's like the one tournament I think I could win because it's match play. Yeah. I'm not winning a stroke play event around here. I'm just not good enough yet. Um, and I, I absolutely played a little... You know, I played okay. I missed the playoff by, I think, one or two strokes. But if I'm being self-critical with myself, I think I was playing a little um, tentative with my irons. There was some fear there. I was driving it great. The greens were super fast and firm. And I got a little bit in my head. I think that's, you know, something I struggle with in tournaments is, is firm, fast greens on approach play. Um, just because of I'm a bit of a low spin player. So I think that hurts me a little sure. bit more. I'd rather be in windy conditions to be honest with you. Mm. So that's a situation where, yeah, my expectations probably got in my head a little bit. I, I, I was amped up for the event. I wanted to play well. I did my best, but I was a little, there was three or four iron shots looking back or I'm like, you weren't committed on those. You were a little fearful. Um, so it's never, my point is, is that you you have these moments where you realize something and it helps, but it doesn't mean it's going to solve the problem forever. Like I always, I've said in the book and my video course a million times, like nothing in golf is an all or nothing proposition. You never solve everything completely. You just try and make it happen. If it's something negative, you try and make it happen less often, but that doesn't mean it goes away forever. I'm, yeah. I'm always going to get nervous at some point on a golf course like that, that, that is, I'm never solving that problem. Everyone right. gets nervous. Yeah, and it's it doesn't improve linearly, right? It it no. 
it gets better, then it gets uh, maybe a little worse, and then maybe two steps forward, and then one step back, right? Yeah, I mean, who knows what's in store? You know, we, we've seen pro golfers' careers, you know, the trajectories are they, some people just lose it eventually. They lose their edge, and it's sad, and it's part of the game, and maybe I'll lose that perspective one day. I don't know. We'll see. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with John. I really loved his vulnerability to talk about his struggles and how he can learn from them and overcome them. I I think we could all use that kind of uh, inward look at our own golf game and and how we relate to golf as as a way for us to improve and for us to get better. And remember, this was just part one of two episodes with John Sherman, so stay tuned for part two. It'll be dropping next week, and it is chock full of more awesome stuff like how to overcome scared golf swings, playing your own game, course strategy, a lot more stuff like that. And the best part, it's from John's own perspective of like his own golf game. He spends a lot of time uh, talking about how uh, to help you play better and on his own podcast, The Sweet Spot, and also on his own Twitter account, at Practical Golf. He spends a lot of that time helping you, but it's really cool hearing from his perspective of basically what not to do, right? Uh, of the mistakes that he's made help us learn from his mistakes. So I think it's I think it's just an awesome couple of parts of this conversation that I got to spend with John. And as I always mention at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and education purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I encourage you to go talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, if you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it and you'd like to work one-on-one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their minds so they can improve their performance on the course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or you can visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. Or if you'd like a less formal intro to mental coaching, one where you don't even have to talk to me at all, you could take the mental game assessment. It's a 15-minute questionnaire that will give you your mental strengths and your biggest area for mental improvement. It's a great resource to start working on your mental game and the best part is it's free. You'll get actual real do this try this for your area of improvement so it's an awesome resource the link to everything will be in the show notes of this episode all right thanks again to everyone who listens to the mental golf show whether you're new here or you've been here since day one i really appreciate the community that you have been a part of building if you've learned something on this episode go subscribe and leave a review on apple podcast or spotify Maybe even mention the biggest thing that you've learned listening to the podcast underneath those five stars that you leave. And I'd love it if you shared this episode with a friend who always, maybe they always try to play like someone they're not. Okay, thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys next time.